0: So in your notes you'll see that the next woman listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is someone by the name of Rahab. And so this is entitled, What is uh, is Rahab Doing Here? Rahab is uh, introduced in uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. And uh, let me just uh, get up on the screen in a second. It's still coming up here. Um, But if you have your, your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, And then she's also mentioned in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6, also Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and James chapter 2, verse 25. Now Rahab, is; um, she has a lot of strikes against her, as many people in the genealogy of Jesus, not just the women, but everyone is, like she said, no one is an angel. If we're all angels, we'd be pretending to be an angel. Um, But Rahab is, uh, she's a foreigner, a Canaanite, so that's one strike against her. She's also a, well, a woman, and that's another strike against her. And she's also a prostitute. So right from the beginning, she's got a lot going against her. And what is she doing here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Why do they have Rahab in, um, in this list? Also, in the other scriptures, um, let me just see if I can get this up here. This will be great. So help me kind of focus. So Joshua 2, 6, Hebrews and James chapter 2, verse 25, Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, she's from the genealogy. It's interesting to note that in all the other scriptures where she's mentioned, she's always labeled as a prostitute. So for example, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, it doesn't just say by faith Rahab, she's known by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes we call this the, the hall of faith. And if you remember, it starts uh, describing what faith is, and then it goes to this long list of these people that had great faith. You know, by faith this person did this, and by faith this person did this. And then Hebrews 11, 31, by faith the prostitute uh, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. And it's just funny. I think why, why is she labeled? You know, prostitute. None of the other men in chapter eleven, if you if you want to look there, they they're not like labeled. Um, you know, there's David. King David was in there, and and Samson and Jephthah, and all these people. But it's not like, it's just by faith David uh, did these things, or by faith, you know, Samson. But it's not like, you know, by faith, you know, David the adulterer, you know, or David the murderer. But for some reason, when it's, ra- it's like the prostitute, or even like Samson, it could be like Samson, the gullible meathead, you know, could be a good thing. But they don't label him. They don't label any of the men. Or Jephthah was someone who sacrificed his own daughter and be like, Jephthah, you know, the, the, the um, stupidest, dumbest father on earth. Or so just they don't, they just, but why? Why is Rahab, even in James chapter 2, when they talk about faith and how it works, it needs to accompany faith, they say, was not even Rahab the prostitute? See, why do they always label her the prostitute? Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? Couldn't they just say, was not even Rahab, you know, considered righteous for what she did? But for some reason, she always has this label. Like she always has these strikes against us. And I think it would be easy and also very um, appropriate to preach a sermon on Rahab. The reason why she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is introducing a gospel um, about, uh, you know, your past does not define you and anyone can be forgiven and anyone can be redeemed just like Rahab, you know, who used to be a prostitute and and now she's a believer. Uh, That would be a fine sermon, I think. But I don't see that um, it's not really explicitly stated that way in the scriptures, but I think the scripture is begging us to answer this question. Like, why is it that someone who is a prostitute can at the same time also be considered faithful and righteous and hospitable? Like, how do those two things go together? So I hope that today we can explore that question and maybe understand why she is listed here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? How is it that Rahab, according to the Scriptures, can be at the same time a prostitute and a gracious, faithful, and spiritually perceptive person? Let's look at her story starting in Joshua chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, let's open up together. And um, we're, we're going to read through the, her story. And uh, generally, if you're, if you're new today or if you're not even sure what I usually do or we, what we do here, we look at the Scripture, we read some of the Bible passages, and then we learn about God. Sometimes our, our view of God is, is not quite right, and so we learn... Uh, some principles about who God is from his scriptures. Or sometimes we we think, well, here's something that we can apply to our own lives because we are followers of Jesus Christ, and maybe we need to realign our our lives that way. So let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 2, if you have your Bibles there. And you can also follow along in your notes. I just uh, left some blank lines there for you to write some things that come to mind. I might refer to other Bible passages. You might want to write those down there in your notes as well. But let's look at Joshua uh, chapter 2. What is... Um, the story of Rahab. And I've also labeled her because the scripture does as well. The story of Rahab, the prostitute. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly, secretly sent two spies from she It's actually pronounced she You know, Elijah or Elisha. It actually would be e- Elisha. Their I sounds like an E, so we're going to say she okay, when we say this, because that would be more appropriate, more to the original languages. But we have to stop here, because when you hear this word, uh, she-team, if you've been reading the scriptures um, up to this point, you would realize this is like, um, like when I said previously, like at the beginning of a TV show, sometimes they'll recap what happened last week. This is like, this is what's happening here. This, the, 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 Joshua, son of Nun, sent, secretly sent two spies from She-Team. Now, if you've been reading Numbers, and up to this point, you go, oh, I remember She-Team, and then you, your heart would sink. You're like, oh, oh no, why did you have to bring that up? That was not a good memory. That, you know, they were doing so well, and then there's She-Team. So let me remind you. Um, some of you know the story, but what happened at, at She-Team? This is um, back in the book of, of Numbers. The people of God were doing really well. They just annihilated uh, kings, two powerful kings, uh, Sihon and Og. and um, But then right away, they just screwed up, you know, royally. That often happens with, uh, throughout the scriptures with the people of God. They do really well, and they're synced to like, really, kind of like my life, or maybe like maybe you can relate sometimes too, just you know, up and down. But they just done really well. And then at Shechem, um, the Israelite, men, the scripture, began to indulge, in sexual immorality with these Moabite women. It's in Numbers 25, if you want to write that down and read it later. The Moabites, a different culture, had invited them to participate in sacrifices to their gods. And this caused the Lord's anger to burn against them. And then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad broad daylight before the Lord, so the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. Numbers chapter 25. So uh, when you hear that these spies are secretly sent from C-team, you're going to think, oh no, I hope this isn't you know, foreshadowing you know, something that's about to happen. Is this like a previous, you know? So actually it is. And as you read, you will see what happens there. So Joshua sent them from C-team, and he says, go look over the land, he said, especially uh, Jericho. Okay, so the Israelites... At this point, air quotes, actually never been in Israel yet. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. They're following, you know, God as he leads his miracles. They've seen a lot of of crazy things. But they haven't actually crossed over the river into Canaan, into the promised land. And so these two spies are sent out on a secret mission um, from Joshua, who is, at this point, the most powerful and revered man in all in Israel. Joshua has been appointed by God to replace Moses. Moses is like Jesus to them. He is like the, he is amazing. God appoints Joshua to take over for Moses. God gives Joshua special promises, gives him all these strengths. So this is Joshua. And he says to these two spies, go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is just verse 1. Like, What are they doing? And you can see maybe the irony or a little bit of the foreshadowing when they say these men came from Sheetim, and now they go and spy out the land, and they're just like, right away, they go into a prostitute's house. There isn't even any mention that they even did what Joshua asked them to do. The Bible never tells us they actually did any spying. And so let me just point out, this, this actually isn't a spy story, as you continue reading. You're, uh, Rahab is the only person that is named uh, in this story. It's just the other people are just men or whatever. So it's not a spy story, it's really about uh, Rahab. And although there's spies in the story, it's about something deeper, it's about something else. So the Bible doesn't tell us that these guys did any spying. I mean, they probably didn't. But it does say that they were detected uh, by their enemy. The next verse. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Somehow, the king, you know, they have, whatever their version of uh, homeland security, whatever, and found this out and told the king spies here uh, in the country. Their mission has now been compromised and uh, immediately the king sends a message to Rahab bring out the man who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land okay what is Rahab going to do what will she do will she will she give them up will she honor the king's request and therefore by doing so she is basically going to foil their whole mission right from the beginning Joshua chapter 1 this is the Joshua says we're going to go in 3 days we're gonna enter this land we're going to go into camp finally we're going to enter the promised land so now what will Rahab do? She could just destroy it right now. Or will she betray her own king to protect the lives of these men? It says, but the woman had taken two men and hidden them. So did Rahab know who these men were? The Bible doesn't say that she knew. Um, or did she just learn about it when the king you know, sent his message to her? We're not sure. You know something that the king doesn't know, right? These men are hiding. They have been hidden somewhere. We don't know where. But Rahab is hiding them somewhere. So she said to the king, Yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. Maybe you can catch them, catch up with them. So it's like she's playing with that game, um, Two Truths and a Lie. Like there's some truth in there. But there's also some lies. She admits that, yes, the men did come. Uh, but I didn't know where they were coming from. And then she lies about them leaving the city. Right? She sends them on this wild goose chase. She knows that, they haven't, that they're still there, that they're hiding. It's like she's trying to buy some time. Maybe she has some, something up her sleeve or something. And the next verse tells us, Oh, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. I wonder if she does that a lot or if she's, maybe she does that regularly. I don't know. So now we know where they are. Verse 7. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now what? Like, the, the gates to the city are shut. The men are trapped. There is no way out. What will happen to them now? Like maybe that was not a good plan in the end, Rahab. The spies are trapped, but actually Rahab knows what she's doing. Her plan did not backfire. Actually, she's in control. She has risked her lives, risked her life to save their lives. She has betrayed her own king in order to save these, the lives of the spies. So now, what does she have? She's got leverage. Now she can begin bargaining. Now she can ask for something that she wants from these spies. Next verse, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up up on the roof. So I just want to point out here too, as you read this story, you'll notice that the men are are just passive. They're always like being acted on. Rahab is the one taking all the initiative here. In verse one, it says, the men are being sent by Joshua, okay, to spy out the land. In verse four, they are taken and hidden by Rahab. It's not like they're like, oh, I have an idea, let's go hide somewhere. But they're just always passive. And now, the king's men are running to catch them, and they're ready to you know, go to sleep for the night. So, but Rahab has a bedtime story for them. She comes up to them, and she says to them, and this is really significant, these next few verses. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, For you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is really incredible. Do you know what this is? This is a confession of faith. A confession of of faith in God. By a woman, nonetheless. Not only a woman, but a Canaanite. The the, the whole city was was doomed for destruction. But this Canaanite, this foreigner, who was also a prostitute and a woman, confesses her faith in God. She says, let's spend a few minutes on her confession, Rahab's confession of faith. She says this in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She knows that the Israelites will not conquer the land through their own military power or through their own strength. God gave it to them. That's pretty, that's pretty good theology, right? Sometimes we think, oh, I did this because of my strength, or my, but we don't realize everything comes from God. She gets that. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She's showing these spies that she's, she understands. And then she uses these words, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed. It makes us think... Does she know, like some of the songs that the people of Israel sang, because this is right directly from the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, where it says, um, "The people of Canaan, right? That's Canaanite. The people of Canaan will melt away; terror and dread will fall on them. Their fear—it's not because." Um, of the Israelites, it's rather because of the Lord and how Yahweh, their Lord, uh, has dried up the Red Sea, led his people into all these victories and has destroyed very, very powerful kings. And then she says this, which is even more incredible. She says, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's not a statement that you'd expect to hear from someone you know, like that, from that kind of person. The Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. It's been pointed out that this, Rahab is only one of three people in the Bible who say these words. Do you know, we, don't, we didn't have photocopiers back then or publishing companies, so when they wrote, the scribes were writing making copies or right, preserving the scriptures for them. And every now and then they would make notes um, in margins that were, you know, outside. And... Some scholars have found some notes uh, in here that these Masoretic, M- Masoretes, the Masoretic scribes, they said that this is, they made notes that this is, Rahab is only one of three people that have said these words. The other is Deuteronomy 4, chapter 4, verse 39, by Moses. And the other is Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. So this is very significant. Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, you have that uh, there in your notes, um, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below there is no other. This is Rahab, a foreign woman prostitute, has just made a profound confession of faith in their Lord. So now that she has made this confession of faith, now that she has made her point clear, she gets to the point and now she demands something from these guys. Now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. She risked her life uh, by defying the king's orders. She chose to, to be loyal to them, to show kindness to them. These are, this is a very uh, God, very much a God word. When God introduces himself, he says, I am, I am compassionate and gracious. This, this word has said, this, this is what she did. I've shown kindness to you. Now, you need to show kindness to me. So the spies are like, okay, our lives are, are in, this is serious. Our lives are in, in your hands. We have no else, so the gates are, we're, shut, we're trapped in here. We're totally dependent on the kindness of this foreign woman, you know, prostitute uh, to save our lives. So she says this, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. And the men are like, yes, our lives for your lives. Right? The men assured her they're not making some you know, great praise to God or thanking God for providing a way out. They're just like, anything, yes, we're out. our lives for your lives. But they make a, um, a little caveat. It says, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So they had a little, you know, we will, yes, we will save you, but as long as you keep our little secret. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So like, oh, now I see. I, we did not know until this point that her house was like in the city wall. So now I see she had this plan and um, now she has a way for, to get these people. The you know, city walls are probably pretty thick. To fortify them against enemies, so inside that wall is maybe enough room for, for living quarters. And so she had a window looking out. So we did not know this was there until just now. And now we know that these so-called spies, they actually didn't even go very far. Like they barely got inside the city walls, right? And then they went to Rahab's so house. Like, they haven't done any spying, as far as we know. The scripture doesn't say they went even further than that. And she said to them, She said to them, go to the hills. I imagine she's whispering this because they're like halfway down the rope, you know, and it's, you know, people are on the lookout, so she's whispering, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, then go on your way, right? Can you picture that, right? They're almost down, and so, and so these men, like, they're almost free now, so I think they're probably feeling a little bit confident. Hey, man, we're like, we're out of here. So they said, well, the men said to her, feeling a little more confident, they're almost free, this oath, you made us swear. They say that a couple of times. You made us do. You made us swear. This oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, you now they have more demands. When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house if any of them go outside your house, it's like they're kind of trying to weasel their way out of this, right? Like this is the oath you made us swear. So if, if any of them step outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We won't be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. This is kind of what they're saying. It kind of feels like like they have this more, more confidence right now. But she's like, okay, agreed. Let it be as you say, simple, easy peasy. Sure, we'll do that. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord uh, in the window. So we're almost done, but let's keep reading. When I was imagining this, you know, I'm just sitting here reading, but I thought it'd be great if we had a big like, flannel graph I hear flannel graph is coming back. If you went to Sunday school as a child, there was these big felt boards, and then these things that were made of, and you could stick them on, they'd be like, Jesus, and And it'd be huge. I would love to kind of tell the story that way, but anyways, let's keep reading. The story's fine. I think also, if I remember, in the flannel graph days, um, I think Rahab was an innkeeper or something, but anyways. So (laughs) let's keep reading because we're almost done here. When they left, okay, they went into the hills and they stayed there three days until their, pursuer, the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned uh, without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forced, forwarded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened to them. Everything, really, And I'm, I imagine they probably let out, you know, forgot one convenient detail, but and told him everything uh, that had happened. And the final verse, they said to Joshua, the Lord has, I'm pretty sure I should say has, surely given the whole land into our hand, hands. All the people are melting in fear. Oh, that H fell down, right? See that from there. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That's the end of chapter 2. Let's stop here for a minute because it's the end of the chapter. And also, how did they know that? They reported, you know, to to their commander, you know, everything uh, that happened. They said, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Like, how did they get that information? They they didn't do any spying as far as we know. Um, God did not reveal that to them. They only know this because why? Because the prostitute Rahab told them. And it's like, it's basically verbatim, but she, they're just repeating, almost word for word, this is what she said, and they're telling this, all the people are melting in fear because of us. Do you remember, there is another spy story, you know, from your Sunday school days, or maybe if you've been reading numbers lately, or you just remember, uh, from when you read the Bible, there's another spy story that did not turn out very well. And it was the reason why they've been like a whole generation waiting, wandering, you know, meandering aimlessly until a whole generation passed away, right? There were other spies that were sent earlier. They could have been in the promised land like a generation ago. But these spies went, and uh, do you remember what happened? They came back, and they were just terrified. And they're like, these people are huge. They, their walls go to the sky, and like, they, they, are, they are powerful. There's no way we will ever win. And so their lack of faith spread, became... It was contagious. And so the whole people of Israel, they just like, okay, forget it. They lost courage and they actually disobeyed God's command. you remember that? So they, they would not, they didn't do it. so and God was upset with them for disobeying and not having, having fear. So it's, okay, these people, will, you guys are going to die out. One gen, then the next generation will get to enter. So they could have been there earlier. But this, I wonder, you know, would this spy story, spy story, uh, how this might have turned out differently if they hadn't met Rahab the prostitute. You know, but, because really... Really, whose faith is it here that is giving the whole people of Israel courage? It's Rahab's faith. She's the one who said, I believe in your God. Rahab is showing us that she has faith in their Lord. More faith than, than they have. And so she said, because of that, I know God has given you this land. God is on your side and he will be faithful to what he has promised the only reason that the people of Israel at this time were able to have the courage to go across the river and enter into is because of the faith that the prostitute Rahab had. Isn't that incredible when you, when you think of that? It was her faith that has instilled, it was her words that, that they told her, basically. So when we ask, like, what is Rahab doing here? Why is she listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? They... This is why. I mean, the spies didn't come back with, like, special knowledge about how to breach the wall or any military, you know, secrets or good strategy. All they came back with was the words that Rahab had said, the faith that had been instilled in them because of Rahab. And so that's the reason why she is listed here. Ironically, even though she's an outsider, she's a Canaanite, she's supposed to be, you know, doomed for destruction. She's a woman, a prostitute, but it's her kindness toward these spies and it's her faith in their Lord that gives them the courage to take the first step toward entering into the promised land. And that is why Rahab is listed here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is why she's talked about as having faith and she's listed in this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and again in James chapter two. So that's what she's doing here. We need more people. We need more women like Rahab, like Rahab the prostitute, She's awesome. And even if they are prostitutes, we need women of faith just like her. Do we not? That's what she's doing here. In case you are wondering, why is Rahab here? She had a huge part to play in the history of Israel. So what happened to Rahab? There's chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and then we get to chapter 6. I'm just going to fast forward uh, a little bit. I encourage you, this is a really fun story. Just read chapter 1, it's not that long, and then reread what we just read, chapter 2. Read chapter 3, 4, 5, or just go jump to chapter 6 and spend some time reading, because it's really fascinating how they were actually able to conquer the city of Jericho. And some of you know, but it's like not through, obviously it was not through military strength. And then on the final day, um, the seventh day, remember, um, they were able to go in and they saved Rahab. Rahab was saved along with her family. On the end of Joshua chapter 6, it says, but... Joshua spared Rahab the the prostitute, again, Rahab the prostitute, right, with her family and all who belonged to her. Because she hid the men, Joshua had sent sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So the Bible tells us that at first she was, her and her family, her clan, were just kind of outside the camp. They were foreign, just a little bit outside, but they eventually became a part of the people of Israel and actually became a part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ. And she had an amazing um, son that we'll hear a little bit about next week. And uh, you know, it's not in the scriptures, but you know there's traditions that develop you know, outside of scripture. And one of the traditions is that she married one of the spies. So we don't know if that's true, but it'd be kind of a cool story, right? I mean, but uh, then we would know the name of one of the spies because you can keep reading in the genealogy. But whatever, whatever, that may or may not be true. But we do know that she is an extreme woman of faith. So as we read through these Verses, we read the story, it's a fantastic story. Now maybe we can understand a little bit why Rahab, you know, the prostitute, is considered to be such a woman of faith. A person of faith that she's listed in the wall of faith. She's talked about in James chapter 2 where your actions, you can't just have faith in the actions in addition to your faith. And she's listed one of the examples, she's a model, you know, for all of us. So maybe some things... Were highlighted for you and maybe you've even made some applications and maybe you have learned a little bit more about God or or your view of God has changed slightly but I just want to point out a few things and this is not all that maybe uh, God would speak to us out of this but first of all what are why is uh what is she doing here okay first of all Rahab's story um revealed an openness to outsiders and a challenge to the insiders you see uh, in the New Testament, right, Jesus Christ came, he taught, he lived, he showed people lots of things, he died, uh, came back to life, ascended to heaven, and then there's this new community that's developing. Like, and it's not just the people of Israel, it's not just your ethnicity that, that determines, it's not just by following these laws, it is open for everyone and anyone. And so as this new community is developing, this is... A good reminder to them as they read through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is, there's a lot of like non-Jewish people in there. And it's not just the women. Some of the men are really like messed up too. But we're just focusing on the women for these, these few weeks. These are, there are foreigners. There's always been room for foreigners. There's always been room for outsiders in the people of Israel. And now they're awakening to the fact. Rahab's story reveals that there's an openness to outsiders. And so this I hope it's encouraging to you if you feel like an outsider. Some people maybe I've just felt like an outsider my whole life in the church. So I don't, it just doesn't fit for me. I love Jesus, but maybe you feel a bit of an outsider. All through scriptures we see there's an openness. There's almost a preference for people who feel that way, who are on, like prostitutes or a tax collector, right? Rick, Pastor Rick last week mentioned that Matthew was written by a tax collector who is usually shunned. There's an openness to outsiders. And then there's a challenge to those who are on the inside. If you keep reading, I want you to read the next chapter, chapter 7 also, during this week. And you'll learn about Achan. It's called Achan Sin, probably. He was the ultimate insider. He was from a good tribe. He was part of the people. But his choices took him differently, to a different way. So we may just assume, oh, I grew up in the church. I'm generation Christians for generations. I'm just, there's a challenge for you. It's not just like how you're born. It's not just your ethnicity, but it's it's how you how you act and how you behave, which comes from your faith in who God is. Because Achan, read his story. He, the, I was going to tell you later about. He is the mirror image. You know when you look at a mirror and its right becomes left. It's not like this. It's like the opposite. He's like the opposite of Rahab. Rahab is the outsider. He's the insider. Rahab's faith saves her own family. Achan's disbelief destroys his family. So it's an openness. We need to be open. To people that we might think, "Hmm, I'm not sure if they're really loud in." Um, I remember hearing a story recently of um, of a man who was dying to get to know more about Jesus Christ, and he came to church and he wasn't dressed well. I think he was probably barefoot. As he's walking down, he came late, right? So the only seats are at the front. And as he walks down, uh, all the ladies are clutching their purses because they think he's here for some other reason. He's like, "No, I just..." And then he never came back again for another year, because God was drawing it. But we might think, and now he's, he's like, like a missionary to uh, First Nations Reserves in uh, northern Saskatchewan. So we might think, yes, we need to be open to outsiders because God is open to outsiders. So that's a little bit one of the reasons why Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Also, God responds to those on the margins who are seeking help. God is the God of mercy. He is the God of compassion. See, um, Rahab was actually, her whole town, her whole community was destined uh, for destruction. But she appealed to God's mercy, God's kindness. And so she realized, God will answer me. God loves to respond to those on the margins seeking help. So are you needing help? Just Why don't you ask, try asking God, putting your faith in him and say, God, can you help me because this isn't really working. When God came to be a savior, Jesus came to be a savior. It includes forgiveness, saving from sins. It also includes um, health. It also includes like emotional health. It includes everything. God wants all of us to be set free. So ask him for help. And here's something that I picked up too, that God is always working his plans. Even when we're not aware of it. Like Rahab thought she was just, I'm just going to save my family. I'm going to use this leverage. You know, I've got a plan, and I'm going to make this deal, and I'm going to save my family. That's all she was probably thinking of, not realizing that this is part of a huge plan. God was using that little episode in her life to actually give faith, give courage to the whole people of Israel so they can enter the promised land. And now she's like listed, and she's in the scriptures. She wasn't aware. I don't even think she ever, maybe she never even knew that, but she's just doing what she was doing but I think we can see there's a bigger picture of God. You're just doing what you're doing, but maybe you don't realize, and you may never realize that this is part of something so much bigger, because God's always working. Sometimes you might be able to look back, and years later, it's, oh, I can, now I see God was using this incident in my life or my family for something, but you may never see that. But you know God is working, and nothing's gonna thwart his plans. And he actually might be using things that are happening right now in your life for a bigger plan. And you won't know until sometime when Jesus comes back and tells you, reveals to you what was going on. So that's just how great God is. And finally, one other thing we can pull out of this is that mercy triumphs over judgment. Rahab knew they were doomed for destruction. Rahab knew that these people were coming in and they were destroying all these kings. But she appeals to God's mercy. She appeals to God's kindness And so because of her, I mean, her whole community was not wiped out. Canaanites actually ended up living among the Israelites, her family. So she appealed to God's mercy. And even though there was a, a declaration of judgment, of destruction, God relented in her case because he loves mercy. He is compassionate, and he is gracious, and he is kind. And so that's something that we know we have learned about that in the past but mercy number 1 mercy triumphs over judgment she appealed to God's mercy you can appeal to God's mercy too he is so eager to relent he is so eager to forgive he is he, so God's mercy triumphs over judgment i'm sure that you came up with some other things as you're looking through the story i encourage you to read chapter 6 and then chapter 7 I've got some homework there for you in the notes if you want to you compare, make a list of the differences between Achan and, uh, and Rahab. They're polar opposites, and yet you can learn a lot from their, from their stories. And then um, next week, we will look at uh, Ruth. And Ruth sounds like, oh, she's got a whole book in the Bible named after her, but don't forget, she was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. And they were not really liked by the Israelite people, but here she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So... <laughs> That is what Rahab is doing here. Let me pray and then the music team will come on up and then I'm going to send you off. Heavenly Father, I love your word. We love the words that you speak to us. We love Jesus. We love your scriptures and thank you for uh, illuminating and teaching and correcting and showing us all sorts of things uh, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of mercy. You are a God of love. I thank you that your stories are so interesting, and I pray that as we dive into your scriptures this week, as we read um, in our devotional time, that you would continue speaking to us and revealing new things to us and drawing us closer to you. And Lord, for those of us who feel like we're on the outside, even though it's not true, we might feel that way, I pray that you would draw us closer to you, draw us closer to our brothers and sisters, and help us to understand how you see ourselves and how you see our brothers and sisters. All these things we